Hello friends and welcome to the season 2 premiere of Mist Conceptions. I'm your host, your friend, and your all-around comic book aficionado, David White. To all of our returning listeners, welcome back. We are so happy to see you again, air quotes. Uh, but it's it's been a while. For you it's been like a month, but for us it's been like two months. So we are glad to have you back. Welcome back. I hope you're excited to get back into the city. And to our new listeners, welcome. We are an actual play podcast of the City of Mist RPG, created by Son of Oak Studios. Uh, City of Mist is a really cool, powered by the apocalypse system. It combines elements from noir film and superhero genres. Uh, it's, it is a great game. I really love it. It's very narrative-based. Um, but, I mean, surely you already knew that. If you're listening to this, you know what we're about. And new listeners, don't worry if you haven't listened to season one of Misconceptions, because after our announcements and everything, there's going to be a, a recap of season one. You'll be able to hear the highlights and everything that happened in season one, and it will catch you right up to where you need to be for season two. Now, if you aren't interested in that recap, you can skip ahead a little bit to the 15-minute mark and jump right into the action. But before we jump back into it, I would like to give a shout out to our listeners who support us on Patreon at the $2 or more level. First up, I would like to thank Heather Burrow, and that's my mom. Thanks, mom. I would also like to give a shout out to Christopher Polk. Christopher, thank you for listening to our show, and thank you for supporting us on Patreon. And our patrons give us the ability to do some really cool things in Season 2 that we were not able to do in Season 1. We will have more sound effects, more ambiance. Our patrons have really helped us improve the quality of the show. So, so, to these two new patrons, and to all of our patrons that have supported us in the past, thank you so much for making Season 2 possible. Thank you so much for making Season 2 even better than Season 1. Uh, if you would like to support us, there's a link down in the show notes. We would love any support you can get so we can keep making this show even better. I would also like to give an iTunes shout-out to a listener who left us a very nice review on iTunes. Not there, Senpai. Thank you so much for reviewing us. And also, thank you for being the first iTunes reviewer outside of the United States. Uh, that is really cool. Uh, and I also hope that you find your Senpai. Or whoever is looking for you to be their Senpai finds you. I, know, I don't know. I don't understand the not there senpai. I don't understand your username. But hey, good luck with it. And that is everything for me. I'm so excited to get back into the city. I'm glad that you are here, new and old listeners alike. So let's go ahead and get into it. It all started in a bar. Four separate destinies bound together by fate. Bill, an enforcer for the local Golden Flamingo Casino, imbued with weaponized tattoos and forced into employment in return for the souls of his wife and child. Faye, an elementary teacher with a mystical connection to nature and visions of a long-lost love. Rin, an up-and-coming software engineer who had suffered a mysterious car accident as he was investigating strange happenings in the city. Esther, a faithful daughter who keeps the memory of her father alive by running his bar but also uses a magical ring to investigate her father's sudden and suspicious death. They all came to Morty's bar for different reasons that night and found themselves swept up into investigating a mysterious new drug that caused those that took it 
to turn bestial and violent. Using their combined wits and might, the Thrust Together Alliance found the drug dealer and captured him. He spoke to them of a coming holy war, but before he could be interrogated further, he was killed by an unseen sniper. Among the dealer's paraphernalia, the crew found a strange insignia, an insignia that Esther had seen before in her father's notebook. The crew spoke to Esther's longtime family friend, Javi, a detective with the city police department, and found a list of missing drug dealers and other citizens. Following these leads, the crew made their way to an abandoned dog shelter and found Linda Lockwood, the famous primetime news reporter, was also investigating these mysterious disappearances. Together, they snuck into the dog shelter and found the mafia holding drug dealers and their bestial clients hostage. Overseeing the interrogation was Jimmy the Butcher, a dangerous and violent mafia capo. After a deadly scuffle, the crew defeated Jimmy and his soldiers just before the police arrived on the scene. Next, Esther was approached by her employee, James, about his mother being forced out of her apartment at 123 Blanco Street. Esther enlisted the help of her newfound allies to investigate the shady landlord, Mr. Smalls, and found he was trying to run his tenants out of the apartment building in order to sell it to an offshore corporation called Mediterranean Enterprises. Cross-referencing with other properties in the city, the crew found a water treatment plant that was recently bought by the same company. The crew decided to deal with Mr. Small's apartment building before investigating the water treatment plant. Faye and Wren enlisted the help of an overworked attorney at the district attorney's office named Deacon Smith while Esther and Bill ran off Mr. Small's goons from 123 Blanco Street. Deacon managed to secure James's mother's apartment for a few more days using his legal know-how. To celebrate this small victory, the crew was invited back later that night, but they were all aghast to find Mrs. Williams dead in her apartment. Esther was even more aghast to find the crime scene shockingly similar to her father's murder. Filled with righteous fury, the crew tracked down Mr. Smalls and dragged him back to Wren's small office building. There, they interrogated him about Mrs. Williams' murder and found it was connected to Mediterranean Enterprises' intent to buy the property. The crew decided they needed to find out why the offshore corporation was so focused on buying properties in the city. So they went to the water treatment plant. Waiting for nightfall, the crew infiltrated the plant and found a hidden downstairs facility that was collecting mist from an ancient stone well in the middle of the room. Being in contact with the mist had adverse effects on the crew and they passed out. When the crew came to, they found themselves bound and held hostage by armed guards. The crew broke free and fought their way past their captors only to find two mysterious figures arrive via a magical portal, one with a wolf mask and the other with a demon mask. The one with the wolf mask was left to dispatch the intruders in a last-ditch effort to bury them with the rest of the evidence. The wolf activated an explosive charge, bringing the roof of the water treatment plant down on all their heads. After digging themselves out of their would-be grave, Faye's confidence in the crew and its mission was shaken. Esther talked to Faye into not leaving, and in return, Faye confided in Esther her desire to find her soulmate the reincarnated soul of Robin Hood. Meanwhile, Bill was given an extra duty by his villainous boss at the casino, Jeremiah, to work with another employee and investigate the explosion at the water treatment plant. 
hitting at a possible connection between the crew's ongoing investigation and Bill's workplace. All the while, Ren was striking up a fledging, if not awkward, office romance with his new employee, Deja. As the crew tried to process the events of the past few days, Linda Lockwood approached them with information about an incoming shipment to the city that seemed of some importance to the Mafia. An uneasy alliance was struck between the crew and the embrace of Linda in an effort to get to the bottom of the city's conspiracy. Following Linda's lead, the crew went to the harbor to intercept the shipment, but their plans were set askew by the sudden appearance of Jimmy the Butcher and his men. A gunfight broke out and the crew had to flee. As the crew laid low for the next few days, they heard reports of grisly murders all across the city. While they formulated their next plan of action inside Esther's bar, the crew were suddenly set upon by Jimmy the Butcher and the object that had been smuggled into the city, a horrendous monster. The ensuing fight destroyed Esther's bar and Jimmy the Butcher was revealed to have mysterious powers of his own. Bill and Esther managed to subdue Jimmy, while Faye used her powers to control the monster and kill Jimmy's soldiers. But the victory came at a cost. Esther's bar was destroyed, Jimmy and the monster both escaped in the confusion, and Faye was shaken by the blood on her hands. Wheels were spinning. Loose ends were trailing out of sight. The crew decided to split up in order to pursue their different leads. Bill and Wren sought the help of Linda Lockwood in tracking down Jimmy the Butcher while Faye and Esther went to the city park to hunt down the monster. Desperate to escape the drudgery of the bullpen, Linda led Bill and Ren to a downtown pizzeria with known mafia connections. There, they found Jimmy's workshop, where Jimmy seemingly tortured and killed people with powers. Linda also found a clue hinting at an assassination attempt involving mayoral candidate and current district attorney, Pip Hamill, at the upcoming mayoral debate. Armed with this information, the trio had to shoot their way out of the pizzeria and escape into the night. Meanwhile, Faye and Esther used Faye's lingering connection to the monster to track it deep into the heart of the city park. While trekking through the woods, the duo stumbled upon Mohammed, a lawyer who was searching for missing children. They decided to continue on together, hoping their combined efforts would help them find what they were looking for. Near the center of the park, the trio found a mysterious and powerful woman named Lisa. Lisa knew what they sought for and where to find it, and offered a trade. Information for what they sought in return for a favor. Lisa needed a concert that was disturbing the peace of her force to be broken up. Then, she would answer a question for each of them. After trying to dismantle the music festival in a number of ways and failing, Mohammed finally transformed into a bear and scared the audience out of the forest. With peace restored to her realm, Lisa happily offered up information to the trio. Mohammed found one of the missing children he was seeking. Esther was rewarded with a vision of a woman who was connected to her father before his death and the magical ring she now wore. And Faye was promised that the monster would not hurt anyone ever again, and was told that she was now closer to finding her long-lost love than she ever had been before. Their separate missions complete, the crew came back together to discuss their findings. Of utmost importance was stopping Jimmy the Butcher's assassination of D.A. Pip Hamill at the mayoral debate gala happening in a week. But before time could be dedicated to that, the crew had to find the missing Mr. Smalls. Their investigation led them to Agatha's halfway house in the city's Old Town District. In this mist-shrouded place, the crew met Len, a young man with an extraordinary ability to assume the identity of anyone he touched. Lynn told the crew of a visit from the mysterious figure in a demon mask, 
and how he had been hired to assume Mr. Small's identity in order to sell the property at 123 Blanco Street to Mediterranean Enterprises. The crew left the frightened Lynn with a promise of friendship and even more questions than they had come with. And after a week of preparation, the mayoral debate gala had arrived. The crew enacted their carefully laid plan to keep DA Pip Hamill safe, but as they bumped shoulders with the elite of the city, Esther was distracted by the appearance of Mafia boss Carmine Giuseppe. Esther boldly strode up to Giuseppe's table and requested an audience, which she was rewarded after the mob boss learned her last name. A brief and cryptic conversation ensued in which Esther learned that Carmine Giuseppe not only knew her father Morty, but owed him a debt. The mob boss gave Esther a trinket in the form of an ancient gold coin that he told her would fix the bar when used. At the same time, Faye and Bill spotted Bill's boss, Jeremiah, in attendance as well, sitting at a table with two other figures. Then, tragedy struck. At the height of the debate, just as DA Pip Hamill was railing against the policies and negligence of the current mafia-controlled mayor, he was shot by an unseen sniper. The events that followed were a blur, with Faye working quickly to save DA's life, Esther watching Carmine Giuseppe slip away into the crowd, and Bill and Wren chasing after the sniper on an adjacent roof. Rather than finding Jimmy the Bitcher with a gun, they found the man with the wolf mask from the water treatment plant. As rain and thunder unleashed around them, Bill and Wren fought the figure in a wolf mask. After Pip's life was saved, Faye and Esther rushed to the rooftop to help their allies in their fight. Combined, the crew bound up the wolf and unmasked him. The face underneath was not Jimmy the Butcher or anyone they recognized. Despite the crew's interrogation, the wolf refused to offer up any information. Their interrogation was cut short by a magical portal opening up and the figure with the demon mask appearing on the roof. The crew could not even put up a fight as they were flung from the rooftop into the concrete street below. They scraped themselves off the cement and fled the scene as the police arrived. As the crew separated to gather their thoughts and heal from their injuries, each of them was set upon by enforcers sent from the Golden Flamingo Casino. Faye, Bill, and Wren fended off their attackers, but Esther was defeated and dragged from a bar in a race against time. The remaining members of the crew enlisted the help of Javi and returned to the Golden Flamingo Casino. Inside the casino, a fateful battle went down, with Jeremiah revealing himself as the Mayan god of death and nearly killing the crew. In the end, it was Bill that stood against his employer and the man who had stolen his family. In a climactic moment, Bill buried his tattoo weapon in Jeremiah's chest, killing him and maybe ruining any chance he had of saving his family. It's been one month since the showdown at the Golden Flamingo Casino. The city, a mashed up combo of the old world and the new, of the mundane and the mystical. By day, this city is everything it seems. A city with towering skyscrapers, potholes that never seem to stay fixed, and stiffs and ties and dames and high heels. But at night, the real nature of the city comes out. At night, the shifty-eyed stalker becomes a creature with dripping claws and a maw full of teeth. At night, cars roll down the streets with no one in the driver's seat. But when morning comes, nobody can remember how the night really went. They remember through a fog, or more appropriately, a mist. No one knows where the mist came from, or its true nature. In fact, most everyone in the city doesn't even know the mist exists. 
The mist doesn't just cover up either. It affects everything and everyone in the city. Changing up, warping up. Most of those affected by the mist, they take what the mist gives them to turn a profit or pursue selfish gains. But there are some, just a few, that fight the good fight. They put their necks on a line to protect the city from the nefarious ne'er-do-wells. It's not always easy. In fact, it never is. But these legends don't surrender. This is a story of a few of those legends. Their story needs to be told, and it needs to be heard. Woo! Are we ready? Yep. Let's Are do ready it. To do this? <clears throat> <clears throat> As this episode opens, there's a dark-skinned man dressed in all black, with a skull-themed bolo tie around his neck. There is a cavernous hole in his chest, and the ornate carpet beneath him is stained by the inky black blood that flows from the wound. A white sheet is slowly and silently pulled up over his lifeless face by two pairs of hands. A thick, heavy liquid drip-drops onto the ground, As the droplets fall, we see flashing blue and red lights in the background. The camera follows the drops, and we see fingers drenched in black blood. The camera pans past the hands, and we see steel manacles fastened around tattooed wrists. The man is dressed in dark cowboy clothes and sits in a wooden chair. His bruised face is stained with dried tears. His eyes are puffy and red with irritation. All around him, we see police officers escorting people dressed in similar Western outfits and tattoos, their hands also in handcuffs. Nearby, a detective in a bulletproof vest and a woman with a leather jacket are having a heated discussion with some plainclothes detectives. Not too far away from that discussion is a woman with a flower dress and a man with a hoodie, having a quiet discussion of their own. As all this happens, the man with a cowboy hat and blood on his hands does not move. He stares into the up-close distance. He can still feel the weight of the weapon in his hand. He can feel the bones breaking and the blood pooling around his knuckles. He can see the life fade from the eyes of the man who had stolen his family from him. As he feels this, the woman with the leather jacket appears in his blurry vision, undoing the manacles around his wrist and offering some assurance to him, but he does not hear it. As the manacles fall from his wrist, the man slowly unfurls his fingers to reveal two poker chips. A single tear beads at the corner of his eye and ekes down his cheek as his mouth silently forms the words, I'm sorry. The camera cuts out to a wide shot of a lavish casino, buttressed up against a glistening lake, with the full moon hanging overhead and a range of mountains peeking from behind clouds of midnight mist. A platoon of police cars and emergency vehicles flood the parking lot. The words Golden Flamingo Casino are displayed in bright, curvy neon lettering. Immediately, there is a different shot of the casino. It is day now. The lights in the neon lettering have faded. The casino is in disrepair. Graffiti of differing styles and colors stain the walls. Dark windows are busted in. Green shoots of grass poke out from the cracks in the cement of an empty parking lot. And we see the words, one month later, appear at the bottom of the screen. The camera pans to the nearby city. 
The sun is glinting off of windows of skyscrapers as people below swelter in the summer heat. A group of children runs and plays as a fire hydrant sends a torrent of water into the street. As the children dance in the spray, the water clings to one child's arm like a second skin, never striking the hot cement below. In the city park, a pair of old men sit around a chessboard. As one man moves his rook into position, the other leans back thoughtfully in his chair, smoking a cigarette. As he excels, the gray cloud goes out from his lips, covering the chessboard. As the smoke fades, the pieces are positioned differently around the board. He moves his bishop into position and leans back in his chair with a smile. In the window of a neighborhood grocery store are two posters. One poster is peeling and torn at the edges. It features a smirking, balding man with the words re-elect Mayor Corallo framing his face. The other poster features a handsome man with a strong jaw and combed hair. Beneath his face are the words elect Pip Hamill, the hero of the city. There is a sound of a spray can shaking off screen and then a red line of paint is sprayed across Mayor Corallo's face. As a grocery store owner runs into the street with a baseball bat, a gang of hooded delinquents rush down the street, ignoring the store owner's curses. A falcon weaves its way around the cityscape. Tucking its wings against its body, the falcon dives into the alleyway. Shadows move, and then a man in a business suit steps out into the busy sidewalk, brushing a feather from his shoulder as he marches towards Legendary Solutions Plaza. This is a city, a seemingly normal metropolis, where people go to work tired at 8 a.m. and go home exhausted at 5 p.m., where parents take their children to the water park on the weekends and co-eds go to the club after class is let out. But look closer. There is a metaphysicality underlying the mundane. The phlebotomist who takes blood donations both for the blood bank and to satisfy his own craving. The house that has sat abandoned at the edge of town for years, but is just a vacant lot on nights with the full moon. The casino owner, which is really a villainous kingpin, swindling people into service in exchange for the souls of their loved ones. This is the city, and nothing is as it seems. As we see all those things... We then go to a separate portion of the city. Uh, who, uh, who are we going to see first? I can go. I have thoughts already. Okay. Oh, good, because I have none. <laughs> 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 well, you're going to be in the scene. <laughs> but I figure you'll give me my thoughts, so it'll be fine. There you go. Okay. Um, the camera pans down on an apartment complex as... Sorry, I need to be closer. The camera pans down on an apartment complex as you see two women unloading a moving truck and moving into an apartment complex. Um, one of them has a flowy skirt on and then a t-shirt that's tied at the waist. Um, very Mamma Mia style. Um, current <laughs> obsession. And... Um, Crap, what does she look like? She has long brown hair. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's been a little while. I'm sorry, guys. Okay. And what is her name again? Oh, uh, that's unknown. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so she's got a long, flowy skirt and she's got a t shirt tied at her waist and long brown hair. Um, and she is carrying a desk that should be way too heavy for her. But as she's carrying it, you, if the 
as you zoom in, you see that it's not really her carrying it. She's got vines coming out of her hands that are holding it up while she pretends to struggle as she walks it into the apartment and then gently sets it down exactly where she wants it. Um, this is Faye Carver. She turns over to her best friend and says, Esther, we still need to get the couch. Do you want to help me or do you want to just let my vines handle it? I'll help. We don't want to give people too much to look at. Well, I mean, they're going to be looking at us. So, <laughs> and they walk out. Esther the rolls her eyes and really annoyed <laughs> by that. <laughs> they walk out, get the couch and come back in. Um, as they keep unloading, Faye goes back into her bedroom to get things set up and closes the door and takes out this long tube that she had put into one of her suitcases. Um, as she pulls out papers in there, she starts pasting them to the wall and you start seeing different aspects, um, with names on it, like Pip Hamill shot and wolf mask and, um, Mohammed and Bear and all different things that she's got posted up around that are clearly some sort of like suspect board or murder board. She's trying to figure out what's going on. Um, it fills a whole wall with all the details she posts up there. And then you see her nod at the wall and vines and flowers roll in and cover the wall so that when you come in, it just looks like a wall of beautiful flowers um which are pretty typical and then you see her set up her pots um of plants hmm. you see her set up her potted plants at her window and head back into the living room to get things set up okay actually as you are setting up your potted plants you take out one um it's a small ceramic pot that was given to you and painted by one of your students uh however it's cracked uh, but even with the cracked lettering, you can see in very childish handwritings to Miss Carver, best Elmerentary teacher ever. And as you're smiling at that, suddenly you flash. Uh, you're in a different room, your old apartment. Uh, everything is where it should be. Everything is as it should be. And then we see you flying across the screen. You crash into an entertainment center, sending all these things scattering to the ground you get up, you're panicking, you're, you're covered in lacerations and cut. We see a girl, uh, we see a woman jump over the couch and she has these combat boots and fatigues and this dragon tattoo on her arm. Uh, and then you flash out of it. As Faye flashes out, she like is hyperventilating and says, okay, okay, five senses, five senses. Okay, five things I can see, see, um, um, Room, flowers, vines, um, things I can hear, things I can, I can touch. Okay, comforter. Okay, my, my hair. Um, I, can, I can feel my, my shirt on my skin. Okay. Okay, I can do this. And then she walks back out. Cool. Is that actual technique? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's actual therapy technique. It's really mm-hmm. Okay. The camera leaves. Uh, Faye's apartment pulls out, goes down the street, uh, weaves its way through the busy suburbs and everything, and then we, what do we see? You see uh, an, an unassuming house it's in a neighborhood um, with an old blue car parked outside. Is my car blue? Dang it. We've, we've changed it so many times. I don't know. <laughs> with, it, <laughs> with, 
with an old Plymouth parked outside. Oh, God. And you make your way um, through the blinds to see a man sitting down with reading glasses on, pouring through pages of interesting-looking glyphs. Uh, He lifts up a cup that has some hot tea in it, sips it, and just keeps pouring over the book meticulously. Then you flash back, and you're in the same corner of the house, and somebody comes through the door, and it's the same man, but he is much different. Um, He's crying. He's moping. He just goes straight to his bedroom, lays down and grabs a bottle of something and drinks it. Um, Next day he wakes up and he drinks some more and he lays down some more and he drinks some more. He just goes back to sleep. And this happens for a solid week. And then one night, uh, the man wakes up in a sweat and something has changed. You can see it in his face. You can see it in his eyes. Uh, Eyes that were once dead but are now eager and almost hopeful. He's giddy and he's smiling and he gets up in in the middle of the night and he begins cleaning his house and, and throwing away empty cans and getting rid of bottles and... And just being productive. And the, the following day, he, he goes out and he comes back and he has just a bunch of books. Very odd books. And he just starts reading. And halfway through, he realizes he's having a hard time reading. He comes, comes back with some glasses and then he continues reading, continues reading. And then we're back at present day. He's like, what, uh, what does this mean? I don't understand this. He just he takes off his cowboy hat to to reveal a a thick head of of, of black hair, unlike his real life counterpart. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> uh, and he just he runs his hand back through his hair, kind of massages the back of his neck, and throws his hat down in frustration. Then all of a sudden, oh, that's it. And he slams the book closed and he, and he runs outside. And it looks like a cloud's coming towards him. That's the scene. All right. And then the, the uh, camera zooms away from the suburban area. And where does it take us next? So it's kind of like a, like the month passing. You see Ren go back to his office uh, after the casino uh, fight. And he goes back, and he's just sitting in um, Daisy's chair because um, it's the one that's facing uh, the entire office space, and it's just like has his hand or his head in his hands, and is like, "What am I gonna do about this?" And you look through the office, and there's tears in the carpet, there's burn marks from his gun. Uh, you're looking at the walls, and there's like dents from. Um, him being thrown against the wall, there's dents from the two goons being thrown against the wall. Um, and so he just sits there and he's thinking about what to do next, about how he doesn't have the money to pay for this. Uh, and so, you know, it 
flashes forward uh, a few days and you see him excited uh he figured out that he could do this on his own rather than paying for it and he like rips up the old carpet and you know throws it out in the dumpster and then rolls out this new carpet that's you know flashy and it's this black and white um diagonal pattern or something and then he's uh fixing up all of the old um walls and uh, he's looking on youtube and seeing how to fix them so he can do it himself and then he does it and it just doesn't work so he like looks at youtube watches another couple videos for several hours and both pablo and deja are just bewildered staring at him while he's researching in his office and he's you know fixing all these walls and then it flashes to present day and he's uh standing on a ladder and is putting up um just like cheap uh decor on the walls to just like to light, cover up the burn marks to, 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 to cover up the burn marks because he couldn't <laughs> fix it <laughs> and so he's just putting up decor in just random places uh to cover up the burn marks and the uh, holes in the wall and they're just horrible paintings, but he's just put placing them on all the walls, and they're all in, like, random places. Yes. Can one of them be that kitten on a branch that says, like, <laughs> hang in there? <laughs> yes. Yes, on, on his door, because there's a giant, like, punch hole in the door. There is a kitten thing that says, hang in there. And then in his office, he's actually got a kitten uh, calendar. <laughs> uh, where he says, where he's got the mark for the day for like today of like hanging out with the crew or something written in. Okay. Okay. And as you are, as you are adjusting like this final piece in your, in your office and up on your step ladder, uh, your two employees walk in Pablo and Deja, if you've already mentioned, uh, Pablo, um, uh, is a man of his Hispanic descent. Uh, he, uh, has kind of, uh, a close shave. Uh, he's wearing sweatpants and some sort of plaid shirt. Uh, it's a little untucked on one side and then tucked in on the other. Uh, and then next to him is Deja. Uh, she is a uh, dark skin, beautiful girl. She has her uh, her hair pulled back, uh, and she uh, she she is dressed unlike Pablo very professionally. Um, she has a stack of documents in her hand, and uh, she looks at you and says, uh, Mr. Pascal, uh, Pablo and I needed you to look at these documents very quickly. Yes, of course. Welcome to the new office. Pablo looks around and says, so I guess you couldn't figure out how to get the, uh, the burn marks out, huh? What is a popcorn microwave thing? Yes, uh, there was an after-hours party uh, with several friends, and we just the popcorn machine just exploded, and there's burn marks everywhere. Um, my friend Bill got just horribly um, plastered and just started punching walls for some reason. So. Um. <laughs> okay so pablo as you're saying that it's like pablo is kind of like stopped listening and he's turned and he's looking like at the hang in there poster on your door and he's just like expecting like yeah uh-huh uh-huh yeah okay uh deja puts the documents down on your desk for you to look at i 
just gonna think of a violent drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and what are these documents, Deja? Well, it's about a contract that we are going to pursue with the business that we talked about last week. And as she is talking, her voice kind of drones out. You hear this static noise, almost like the static of a TV or something like that. And then you hear a very computerized or robotic voice say, Ren. Four. Searching. Pascal. User. Unidentified. Cannot find. And then more static. You come to with Deja waving her hand in front of your face. Uh, Mr. Pascal? Mr. Rin? Hello? Yes, Deja, I'm sorry. You, you were saying this uh, packet uh, for the business uh, that we had talked about? Uh, yes, last to week. resume where I left off before you zoned out. And then she goes back into it. Um, and you listen to her. She gives you the details. But what just happened kind of sticks with you and then the camera leaves this small office building goes down to a place near the docks uh and what do we see there um you see a bar front um clearly a new sign says morty's bar um it's all black on the inside um no lights on or anything um and then if you um, I'm not good at descriptions and things, but anyways, um, if you go to the camera goes to the back of the bar, um, and you see a black SUV pull up, um, but there was already a vehicle, an unassuming vehicle sitting in the, um, whatever the parking space behind the bar. Um, Esther steps out of the vehicle. She's in jeans and a black t-shirt um she knocks on the window of the of the car next to her um the window rolls down and you see Javi you can't just be here every morning when I get here you have to go back to normal I have to go back to normal uh Javi is a an older gentleman um think maybe uh, late 40s, mid 50s, somewhere around there, but he has his hair combed back as uh, black, speckled gray. Uh, he is wearing uh, his just a collared T-shirt. You see a badge sticking out of his breast pocket. Uh, he is holding a coffee, uh, and he tilts down his sunglasses to look up at Esther. Well, my shift hasn't started yet, so here I am. Well... Are you going to come in with me to look over everything? Sure. He opens up and goes inside with Esther. He steps inside before Esther, and he kind of does his thing that he's been doing for several weeks now um, as she's been preparing the bar. He does a sweep um, of everything to make sure that there's nothing out of the ordinary. Um, Esther's flipping on lights behind him and everything. Um they're they're coming through like the kitchen um she goes to the front and she flips on the lights and um she opens a box that's been sitting on the bar and it's got all the prints of the new 
um, menus and like table tents and all that kind of stuff. And she begins putting them out. Um, Javi sticks around for a little bit and they make small talk. Um, and then he has to get to his shift. And so she continues okay. getting things ready for the grand reopening. As he's, as he's leaving, he says, Esther, this is great. You're really making this bar your place. Um, he looks at everything one last time. Morty would be proud. All right, I'll be back tonight. He puts on the glasses, hugs and kisses and all that gooshy stuff, and he closes the door behind him. Um, and as... Actually, as he is closing the door, you see this old... Not necessarily jalopy, but like an old beat-up car just pull up. Um, there's a license plate on the back that says L-I-L-J-O-N and it's kind of like almost falling off a little bit. Um, but the door opens up and James, your employee, gets out. He is dressed for work. He has his black pants, black shirt, uh, an apron on. He's kind of tying it around himself and he walks around and the window rolls down and we see a Middle Eastern man with a big, thick beard. He is built very muscular. Uh, and he looks at James and says, Hey, you did good today. I'll pick you up tomorrow. And then uh, um, James looks at him and says, Yeah, thanks, man. See you see tomorrow. And he walks in and Muhammad gives Esther a, a brief wave and then drives off. Uh, and James walks in um, and finish, finishes tying his apron around his waist and says, All right. AA meeting went good today, boss. Um, I guess let's get ready to open tonight. I'm glad it went well. Um, let's start getting things ready. I got a couple boxes um, in the back if you want to get them and help finish setting up. Sure, sure, th- sure, sure thing. He walks on through. Um, and you kind of satisfactory, like, put your hands in your pockets and just kind of look at everything. And as you do, you feel something touch your fingers in your pocket. You run your finger along the edge of the misshapen coin. Um, You kind of pull it out and hold it in your fingers. It is not freshly minted. It seems to be some ancient coin, so it's a little misshapen. It's not perfect. It has some sort of Arabic writing, old world writing on it. Um, You hear Carmine Giuseppe's words flash in your head. I knew your father, and I owed him a favor. Then the voice fades away, and you look at the coin a little bit further, and then you stick it back in your pocket and move on to get things ready for tonight. So, the night rolls around. Morty's Bar is having its grand reopening about a month and a half after uh, the huge fight happened and everything was torn up and Esther had to begin rebuilding her bar uh, and she has sent you invitations I don't, knowing Esther well, I'll let you describe it What? how were the invitations sent? I'm assuming that they were actually just sent out to the three sure, sure, yeah so um, Faye received hers as a note that was left on the fridge <laughs> Okay. Like a sticky note or something stuck on there? Okay. Yeah. It was a sticky note. She drew a a flower 
on it. <laughs> to draw her attention to it, because she only pays attention <laughs> to flowery things. Sure, sure. Um, uh, Ren got it in an email. Okay. Um, and uh, she actually sent James to hand deliver it because she knew that that was the only way that it would actually get to him because she's assuming that he's not actually stepping outside of his house to check his mail. So. Okay. Okay. I thought you were just going to say you texted everybody. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so night rolls around. Esther, you are standing ready. Uh, James is kind of standing a few feet behind you, uh, proud and nervous. You have your thumb on, like, the uh, little rotating dial that turns on the neon open sign in your window. James gives you the thumbs up. Let's do it, boss. If you're looking closely, you can see that Esther has, like, a flower ring on that's really out of character for her, but Mm -hmm. Faye insisted that she wear it for the grand reopening. Um, And do we see any other rings on her hand? You do. What kind of ring do we see on her? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the flower ring is on her right hand and on her left hand. Um, she has um, a silver owl ring. It's like an owl head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the eyes um, just kind of glisten in the light. Okay. And she pushes the button. Few and minutes pass. Nothing happens. Yes, nothing <laughs> it doesn't happens. light up. Oh, it doesn't light up. <laughs> it doesn't light up. James, is it plugged in? Uh, I don't. Uh, he like runs up and starts looking at it, and you like both follow the wire down. Oh, here it is, and you both plug it in, and then zzz, zzz, the neon lettering open sign comes on. Morty's bar is reopened for business after a month and a half. Few minutes pass. Who is the first person to arrive? Okay. <laughs> that makes no. I, w- I would feel like Bill would be last. Uh, I, Bill is changing. All right. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So, Bill kind of peeks his head through the door. You open? Is the sign on? All right. That's fair. <laughs> he just like walks, like pushes his way through, and he's wearing what he normally wears. He's got his cowboy hat, his vest, his uh, his button-up collared shirt with his his poker chips. And uh, kind of hanging on his necklace between his poker chips are some reading glasses. And he has a, like a, sorry, I was leaning away. He has like a, a messenger bag kind of slung over his shoulder. Um, it's a little hefty, but it's what he's rocking. And he says, um, can I get like a coffee or something? Esther's one sent him. Sure. Can you make it Irish? Always. All right. Okay. And as Bill walks in, I assume immediately afterwards, Ren pushes past. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> no, that happens. That yes. happens. You see, like, Faye, she's, like, practically skipping to the door. Like, she's, oh, hang on. You see Faye, like, practically skipping to the door. She's so excited. And she, like, goes to push it open and... And then Ren just like scoots right past her, says "Thank you," and just enters right in. <laughs> it's so good to see you, Faye. Get in the building, Ren. 
Oh, I thought we were going to talk out here and then get in the building and then talk inside she like we a crew. <laughs> Just picture like plants growing thorns really Um. Okay, so Faye pushes past Ren and skips in. Esther, it looks so good. I mean, I've been coming, obviously, and seeing it, but the neon sign is lit up. And she, like, walks around behind the bar and, like, gives you a, gives Esther a huge hug. Thanks, Faye. Mm-hmm. You love me. And she, like, looks like, can I see your hand? Let me see the ring. Look, look, I got her a ring. <laughs> That's very... We're official. <laughs> I mean, it's 2018. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what this is about. After hours, after hours. <laughs> Faye skips back around the bar and, like, sits next to Bill. Hi. Hello there. <laughs> You've changed, Bill. You're not here. <laughs> I'm already in the building. His face just, like, goes between ours. You've changed, Bill. <laughs> Sits right next to Bill, and then Ren just butts in. Hey, Bill, you've changed. That's such a cyborg thing to do. Uh, uh, Yeah, I I mean, I'm still Bill. Um, Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess. You're drinking coffee with with some whiskey in it, you know. But um, lately, I've been trying to just. Drink stuff that keeps me awake instead of stuff that puts me to sleep. So a lot, a lot of, a lot of stuff to do. I'm so proud of you. That's so great. Welcome to the Awake Club. We have lots of fun. We've all been pretty woke for a while. That's just such a bad joke. <laughs> oh. Esther makes her way over to the table. Um, uh, James wanted to know if y'all want anything to eat. I will take a classic fish and chips, please. That's, no, that's what I was going to order, because I actually eat fish and chips. In real life, though, you would never eat fish and chips. This isn't about real life. <laughs> but yes. Uh, can I get some avocado toast? I'm just kidding. Literally what? Who no, are you? Um, tell James I said to throw some shrimp on the bobby. <laughs> okay, no, I'm done. I'm sorry. That's, that's terrible. Uh, just, yeah, tell him I'd love one of his burgers. They're usually pretty good. Anybody else? What would you like, Faye? <laughs> Faye looks at Esther, rolls her eyes, and then turns back to Bill as if Ren is not there. <laughs> so are you sitting, are y'all sitting at the bar or are you sitting at like your table? The bar. Okay, the bar. Okay. Um... I think okay. that's where you sat first, right? Yeah, that's where you sat, yeah. Esther turns back to James, who's in the kitchen. I need a burger all the way and fish and chips. Coming right up, boss. He starts getting to work. Uh, about this time, more uh, people start coming in. Uh, not a lot, though. Uh, some people that came whenever your dad ran the place. Uh, things like that. Maybe maybe a handful. So less than five people are coming in. Um, they go sit at different places. They order their food. They order their drinks. Uh, they get to eating. Um, kind of quiet for a grand reopening. 
Way to be a jerk about it. Yeah, really. That's exactly <laughs> I'm just how describing I how the story was. Okay. Uh, Esther, you're, you said you expected this. You're a little worried, though, because you had to sink a lot of the bar's money into this. You haven't been open for a month and a half, so funds are really low for you right now. So you're kind of hoping that it would have more. You know, I could, uh, I could roll out a new advertising campaign for you on social media. Just have to hack a couple accounts. Uh, it's really I simple. Okay, I don't think you need to hack accounts. I mean, yes, I'll take your help with advertisement. I don't think hacking is needed. It's just for fun. I understand, but it's not needed. So if you could just roll out some advertising stuff, that would be great. Okay, I can do that. Yes. Uh, Ren, if I needed access to the University of the City's library uh, to look at scanned books. Could you get me that access since we're talking about your hacking ability? I mean, the university is public, so. Right, but they have scanned documents that are only accessible to students, and I'm not. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I could just make you like a dummy account. Yeah, that's no Sweet. Deal. All right. I'm sorry. Are you going yeah, you're going to need school? to explain that. No, I'm not going back to school. I just need. There's a lot of good research being done at the university, and I would like access to it. And I don't want to pay. Yeah. Esther just looks at him with a questioning. Although I am eye. interested. <laughs> what are you doing? I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's fine. I just I have to do research. To figure things out, and it would be real, really helpful to me. I, I can explain more later, but right now I just need to. I just need you to help me out if you can. I just need to make sure that anything that I'm like giving you access to isn't illegal. You just offered <laughs> to hack social media profiles for Esther's bar. Sure, it's a little. It's a little under the table, but I just need access to some, some scanned PDFs, man. I mean, social media, that's just really a technicality. But yeah, I mean, I could do that too. All right. So, Esther, when can you take a break and we can sit at our booth and catch up? Um, Esther takes a look around. She's like, um, let me make one more um, sweep, make sure everybody's taken care of, and then I'll meet y'all at the booth. Okay. So... You make your sweep. Um, everybody seems to be doing well. You have James bring out the food. Um, nobody else seems to be coming right now. So you go and sit down at the... Uh, the. Are you all at the bar or the booth? The booth. booth. Okay. You go sit at your reserved booth, as it were, um, all together. Who, who's sitting next to who? Let's do it like this. So Esther and Faye on a bench, and then Ren and Bill on a bench? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do you need to know so you can see you're going to shoot and how it's going to affect the other person? <laughs> Just make sure you grab the pepper on your Man, way to you the are, monster. <laughs> you are already jumping I'm ready to a tower shield. This is the first episode of season two. <laughs> Just calm down, dude. <laughs> Just. Um, so we haven't really talked about what happened. Excuse me, we're trying to do a podcast here. <laughs> Would your mind not pretend shooting each other? <laughs> Sorry. For those that cannot see what's going on, 
David and Jaime are <laughs> shooting each other. We're not Finger doing guns. it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> deep breaths. The deep breath is what got me. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> um, so we haven't really talked about what happened. So Bill killed a guy. Okay, that was not the proper way to bring that up. You do it subtly, like I just did. So Bill murdered a guy. (laughs) You're going to be next, bud. (laughs) Bill had to make a hard choice. Yes, to save his family. Also to save me, which I want to say thank you for. Yes, he saved all of us. And Ren, you should be eternally grateful to him. I am always eternally grateful to Bill. I express that through sarcasm, humor, and the occasional hacking uh, services Esther for Bill. Esther reaches over and just, like, puts her hand on his face. <laughs> so I've been carrying around these things that I got that night, and I don't really know what to do with them. But when Jeremiah was dying, he had two things in his hand. One was a poker chip and one was a domino and I took both of them and she like pulls them out of her pocket and puts them on the table. Yeah. So, um, you see the poker chip is bill. You recognize it. In fact, all of you would recognize it because it's very similar to the two that are hanging around bill's neck. Uh, however, in the middle, instead of the golden flamingo casino logo, it's a very strange Mayan Aztec symbol. Bill, you swear you've seen this symbol somewhere, but you cannot place it. The other item is about the same heft and size as a domino. It is rectangular, although it's not made out of that. I don't know what dominoes are made out of, but you know that that material. Marbly kind of. Yeah, kind of marbly, but it's not that. It's almost a mix between metal and stone. It's hard to place it. Um, But there are not domino markings on it. Instead, there is this symbol, this insignia that you have seen since you all started your time investigating together. It is this spiky Florida Lee or a crown with a spear going through the middle of it or uh, something like that. But... I realize that I've never given you a drawing of this. So this is the symbol that you find on the domino. Mm-hmm. Uh, for listeners, I will post a picture of this on the Facebook page so you can go look at it. But this is the symbol that you see on the domino that you have seen throughout the city at the water treatment plant, on the drugs that Jimmy the Butcher had on him, or not on him, but in his room, uh, the stuff that... Uh, Marcus Malcolm had his drug paraphernalia on that very first night that you teamed up. Uh, So you have seen this symbol before, and it is on this domino that Jeremiah had. It's like a dark, shadowy fleur de lis. Yeah. So I don't really know what these mean, or what I'm supposed to do with them, or if I'm cursed for carrying them around, but here they are. I've also been carrying something around for a while. And I'm not really sure what it is. Um, 
Esther pulls out the coin from her pocket and puts it on the table in the middle. She showed this to you the night before everything happened at the Golden Flamingo Casino. You might have forgotten about it. But, uh, Rin, you scan this uh, with your special goggles and things, and it pulled up as having an Arabic script on it, some old dialect from the Middle East. Um, uh, But it is... Like I explained earlier, this rough coin, uh, it's not perfectly circle. It has like a little bit of edging around the side. Um, but you, you have seen this, but apparently Esther has held on to it since that night. Let it be known that Esther doesn't remember showing it to them before all that happened. Okay. Yeah, Esther, we've seen it. Remember you showed it to us, I don't know, that, that awful night, right before that? I don't, in that time. Hmm. <laughs> I don't remember showing it to y'all. Oh, that's good. That's good. Hmm. Speaking of memories, does James still think his mom was alive? Um, we haven't really talked about it. I haven't wanted to bring it up. He's um, doing well right now. He's going to AA meetings. Um, he's working with Muhammad. Um, hmm. So I haven't wanted to go there. Yeah, that's fair. Anyways, um, okay, so random trinkets. Do you have anything you've been holding on to, Ren? Yes, I've actually got this ball of dust that I've... Uh, <sighs> every time that I, like, dry my clothes, I just gather it up and so... Ne- <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I've been holding on to something for you. <laughs> These... <laughs> Bill punches him <laughs> And Bill rolls and it does serious damage <laughs> Wounded too <laughs> <laughs> No, nothing of value to this crew Cool hmm. Well, I'm going to take a picture of these things <clears throat> With my cell phone because I'm tech savvy uh, Has he ever had a cell phone with a camera before? He has a flip phone. <laughs> Does he still have a flip phone right now, or it's now something different? Now is it something different? No, it's still it's still like a Nokia, but it has a camera. <laughs> it has a weak camera. So he pulls it out <laughs> like a half a megapixel. <laughs> Are you sure you can see it on that? I can see it fine. I've got my readers. <laughs> Your readers, yeah, like glasses. Do you not see the? Oh, on um, reading glasses. Sorry, no, I, I didn't. Sorry, I needed reading glasses to see them. But I refuse sh- to put them on next to Ren because then I'll have to see his ugly mug up close. I'm not ready for it. Wow. Okay. Hey, hey, we, we're doing this. <laughs> okay, but that doesn't mean anything to you? I mean, you. Sorry, bad memories, but you worked there. Does that mean anything to me? I mean, that's like. Just what I, what I told you. You didn't say anything. <laughs> you did like the, a five minute spiel. Yeah, the poker chip. It is familiar to you, but you cannot place the symbol in the middle oh, they still of the Aztec Mayan design. Is. Yeah, they don't know what the poker chip <laughs> really is. Okay, what about the domino? The domino oh, you've oh, never no. seen. You've seen that symbol before, but you've never seen this domino. What thing. about the coin? I mean, she showed it to you, but you don't know what it is. Right, okay. Well, I'm familiar with the poker chips. Um, they're used to store souls. Um, um, 
What do you mean soles? Not the kind that are on the bottom of your shoes. So like human souls? Ooh, pick me, pick me. I know about it. It's really cool. Okay, well, well we bad. picked Bill already, so. Dang. I forgot. Rin has seen. Yeah, he has. It, maybe not used to its full effect, but he has seen Bill threaten somebody with it. Yeah, yes, uh, human souls. Uh, Jeremiah needed people to pay their debts, and if they couldn't pay it with money, well, they gave everything else they had. You have poker chips. Mm-hmm. Like, on your necklace? So you're carrying around people's souls? Yes, it's my wife and son. Faye gets out of the booth, pulls Ren out, <laughs> scoots over, and just hugs Bill. Meanwhile, Esther was shoved out because Esther was sitting on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ren awkwardly leans over to Esther and attempts to hug her. <laughs> and Esther just pushes him away. And Bill, Bill just kind of... We're not in that moment. <laughs> Bill just kind of like does like the pat, like the shoulder pat. Thank you, I appreciate this. The awkward. But he's awkward. Like he's just. just, I don't know how my wife would feel. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's okay. I have a long lost lover. Don't worry about it. Uh, Okay, so uh, as you, as you are having this scene, uh, the people that are there kind of leave once their food is done. Uh, you keep having your conversations, looking at things. Uh, Javi walks in at one point, just got off his shift, orders a drink, and kind of looks at the scant audience, or not audience, but like patrons inside the bar. He rubs it back and said, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Esther. You know, I invited some of the boys to come down here, and I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a rough neighborhood. They want to drink where they work, I guess. Uh, but I'll, I'll keep on them. I'll try to get them down here. Uh, I know but hey, well. it, it's fixed. You know, tomorrow's a, a new day. He looks at the three of you. He, he, didn't, he doesn't approach the three of you, but he's like standing at the bar and he raises his drink and nods at the three of you. You all wave back or tip your cowboy hats or what have you. Um, night progresses. Javi eventually leaves. Uh, he gives Esther a hug. Says, proud of you. He walks out. James cleans up the kitchen, walks out and leaves as well. Uh, the four of you are sitting in the bar alone. Uh, you still have all your trinkets and things on the table. Uh, after James has left, Esther double checks the front door to make sure it's locked and everything. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, and goes to the back and goes ahead and locks that as well. Okay. And then comes back to the group. Okay. Obviously, we have a lot of things to talk about. And now that it's after hours, we can talk about it without all those pesky civilians around. <laughs> Esther and I also have a newly decorated and finished apartment. So, is that your invite to invite me and Bill over for a apartment party? Um, if you want to call it an apartment party, you can call it... Party is a hard word! <laughs> you saying party? <laughs> you saying party? <laughs> uh, 
You know what I was going to say. I have no idea what you're going to say, actually. Oh, my gosh. If you want to come over, you can. Right? I guess it's not my apartment anymore. I can't just invite people over whenever I want. (laughs) Oh, I mean, it's fine. Oh, great. She seems really sure about it being fine. I mean, I just assumed that's what was going to (laughs) happen. I have a question. Who, uh, Who is, like... Is anyone holding the trinkets or like messing uh, with I them? I took the coin back and put it in my okay, pocket. Holding the domino still. Okay. So, Bill, like as absent-mindedly, you're, I'm just like yeah. As you're holding the domino, just absent-mindedly manipulating it, you run your thumb across the symbol. It is engraved. There's an indent where it is, and as you rub your finger across it, it starts to glow, and you don't even notice it. But and then it like catches in the corner of your eye, and you look down at it, and the domino's glowing. Uh, Bill kind of looks around. And as you start to look around, there's a clap of thunder. Not in my bar. In the middle of the bar, a portal opens up. A very familiar portal. You all jump to your feet. You ready your tower shield. You pull out your gun. There is a vine in front of Faye's face. (laughs) Esther pulls out her gun. You wait for the man in the demon mask to step through, but... No demon mask steps through. No wolf mask steps through. No one steps through. The portal remains open. On the other side of the portal, you see murky shadows coiling and drifting across a vacant canvas. Bill runs towards it. Wait, Bill! Bill runs. He jumps through the portal. Bill, wait up for me! And Ren just... <laughs> Ren rushes through and jumps through. We're going? <laughs> Faye... Okay. Faye loops a vine around something in the bar, like a pole or something nearby. It better be something real sturdy that's also not holding up the entire bar. <laughs> Esther, our lives are at stake. I'll rebuild your bar. And she grabs Esther and jumps in. End of episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Missed Conceptions. We will be back with our next episode on September 17th. We do have a Facebook and a Twitter, so if you are a social media person, why don't you follow us on either one of those sites? You will get up-to-date information about the show, behind-the-scenes pictures, and you'll also just be able to chat with us, and uh, we're friendly people. We'd love to chat with you. City of Mist is an RPG created by Son of Oak. They just got done with a wonderful Kickstarter to make a whole new line of products. I hope that you kickstarted them, but if not, you should definitely go over to the cityofmist.com store and look at all the great stuff they have there. If you are interested in getting a cool rulebook for your desk, use the code MISTCONCEPTIONSFAN, all one word and all lowercase, to get a little bit of a discount off of your purchase. It's from us to you. Kisses. Also, don't forget to share us with your friends, share us on social media, share us word of mouth. We don't pay anything to get the show out there, and it would help us a whole lot if you helped us share this show. And don't forget, we do have a Patreon, and if you pledge to support us there, you can get some cool things, but you can also help us do some cool things with the show. The music you heard at the beginning of this episode, and we'll hear here in a little bit, was composed by Aaron Wharton. You can find more of his music at AaronMorton.net. And that is it for this week. Wow, we're back at it again, guys.
I'm excited, and I hope you're excited too. I will see you next time. But until then, keep it nerdy, y'all.